Good morning, church. <laughs> How is everyone today? Good? Great, great. Well, I have, I have some exciting news to share with you this morning um, concerning our missions conference and other things going on. Uh, in preparation for the conference, which is the first two Sundays in March, uh, the missions committee has asked uh, Eddie Bradley <coughs> and myself to um, um, work on putting our short-term trips back together. You know, it's been a few years since we've had mission trips. We used to do them pretty regular. And uh, so the last three years, we haven't done any trips at all. We had two years of trips planned when COVID hit. So all that went out the window with a lot of other things, didn't it? So we've been doing that. Um, Eddie and I asked uh, Michael Andrzejewski, Dave Anderson, and, and my son Brian to help us with that. And we met and had some great conversations and all the team members really added a lot to that. We had a good prayer time. And then we decided to do a few things different this year. Um, to be a little more um, goal-oriented, a little more intentional than we have maybe in the past. Uh, the model in the past has been that we would take <clears throat> maybe 20, 25 people and go to Belize and build a house or do something. And usually we do one big trip a year, maybe two, uh, like that. Um, so this this year we're doing things a little different. So... Um, we established a two-year plan, and we designed the trips to be a little bit different. The short-term trips are going to uh, be targeted more really for the younger people in our church. And I say younger, I mean like the 45 and younger. <laughs> That's the younger. It's not the teenagers at all. It's the, it's the younger ones. So um, <clears throat> the short-term trips are, are life of the church, and, and we really need to pass off that baton and I, I just thought I'd illustrate that this morning. If you've ever gone on any type of short-term trip, please stand up. Okay? Just stand up if you've gone. Okay? I want you all that are sitting to look at these people. A couple of purposes in this this morning. Most of these people are going to be older. <laughs> and so we need the younger ones to step up. And these people have experience. So when, when I get through with my announcement after church today, in the next few weeks this mission conference comes along, Y'all can sit down now, thank you. But notice those people is my point. Because those people have experience. And if you're thinking about a trip, which I pray you are, then go to, go to some of those people and, and ask them about their experience and see what they say. And uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that um, so many times we are fearful of trips and they're one of the greatest blessings in our life after we go. So um, short-term trips are the life of the church. It's the lifeblood of our church. It's one of the... Uh, missions, if, if missions is a pillar of our church, then we need to get back to that now that we've gone through this experience with COVID. We need to get back to short-term trips, going to foreign fields, seeing the rest of the world, how they live, and the things that they experience. And it was the last thing on Christ's lips, this, this command to go. And it, it, it's definitely one of the pillars of the New Testament church. So we need, to, we need to get back to that. Well, what does that mean to you? And what would it mean if you did go? Well, we would ask you to pray about uh, committing to thinking about you know, going to the Lord about one, taking one of these trips. Um, we have set up trips to be uh, completely different this time, um, established them in a completely different way for that purpose. And um, the ideal is, is that the teams would not be big, like 25, but we've got more trips, more opportunities, but smaller teams. Teams could be three people. Teams could be eight or ten, but we're trying to get them smaller. And we're, at, we're offering more opportunities uh, than we have in the past. So this year we've got around a dozen opportunities, uh, locally some, but mostly foreign. I think there's eight or ten foreign trips. And so um, 
We want you to pray about that and consider it. Those, those teams may vary. We're not going to turn anyone down. If we say, we're not limiting the trips. We're saying six people can go. Oh, you can't go because you're number seven. We would love that problem. So if you want to go, feel free to go. But we're, we are trying to ideally uh, make these smaller uh, teams. And I think that will appeal to people more, uh, the younger people especially. So we're hoping that that, that will, uh, will draw them in. Um, what does that mean to us? Well, we would ask you as a body to pray about that, to pray about um, the, the, the possibility of going. And then the missions committee has put scholarship money aside, so you can't uh, dilly-dally around. You've got to make a decision in the next several weeks here, and you can't wait till the month before the trip to decide. So we're, we're kind of putting pressure on you, but it's a good pressure. <laughs> you need to step out, trust the Lord. If there's interest, step out and trust the Lord, if, if there's any at all. And don't hesitate to do it. And we have... We have methods in, in place to help you with that. Like the Michigan Committee has the scholarship fund, but you have to get with Eddie or one of the missions committee members. And uh, if you're on the missions committee, stand up so they'll know who you are. If you're on the committee right now, stand up, everybody. So you see these people, these people know how to plug you into the funds. So they'll get you an application for that, and they'll help you uh, begin to move on that path. Okay, thank you. So those are key people as we move into this. We have some 17 leaders now for these trips who are committed to form their teams and put it together and get it going, but they got to have time to make reservations. And the further out they make them, the cheaper they're going to be for you. <laughs> so it's important that we get those reservations made, the logistics of, uh, res- of uh, accommodations. There's a lot of things that have to be put into place. Uh, and these trips, we're going to have them this year, 23, and in, then again in 24. So it's like a two-year commitment or two-year opportunity, I should say. Hopefully you'll go twice, but if not, at least... You can choose one or the other to, to choose from. There's passports that might have to be, you know, gotten or renewed. Uh, yeah, and there's shots. Some, 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 I know you don't like to hear that, but some countries are going are gonna to have immunization recommendations or even uh, demanding. So you might have to get some shots and vaccinations. But, you know, things like that takes place. There may be vacation time that you have to go and apply for. So there's a lot of little parts to this that you've got to think about. That's why we don't want you to wait and wait, okay? At the end of missions conference, a couple of weeks after that, we need to be forming our teams. And we need to be really putting this into action. So uh, just thinking about that, I was uh, thinking about um, some of the wrong thoughts that we have when we're challenged like that. Um, you know, uh, some of the things that come to my mind, I've sat where you're at, and the things that pop up are like, uh, I don't have anything I can add. Yes, you can. If you speak English, you can add a lot. Because a lot of these countries we go to, like Portugal, right, Michael? They love to have conversational English. And even though you speak like Dean Self, he was very popular in Bolivia because nobody down there talked with his, his type of uh, English. <laughs> so your English can vary. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he would be a big hit in England, I'm sure. So he might get him on the English, uh, on the British trip. Probably. So, so if you speak words, English, you can, you can do, you can go, you can help. Uh, I don't have the time. I can't get off work. Well, that's, that's not true. You do what you want to do. You take vacations. You go places you want to go. So don't let that be a hindrance. These are things that Satan will throw up to you immediately. I've been, I've been at this a long time, and I promise you, these are the things people set out there. I've set out there. I know they come up to you. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not good at traveling internationally. Kevin will make it. Kevin will be okay. 
You'll be okay, Kevin. You can do it. <laughs> I don't know if he's here. Is he here? <laughs> but yeah, people that don't like to fly, you, you'll get over it. Melinda, every time she flies with me, she's one of the bravest people I know because she's claustrophobic and she doesn't like flying. She takes those, uh, what are they, Dramamines? Yeah, for seasickness. And she looks like a drunk sitting over there. You know, she's out. <laughs> but she goes. So you can go. And you can make that trip, I promise you. I don't speak the language. Hey, it's fun to have an interpreter. You learn to, I learned to slow down and just speak a few words at a time. It's just a good experience, I promise. Um, we don't have, I don't have the money. I tell you, I've shared this before, I think, with some of y'all or maybe with the church. I don't know. But the first time I went to the mission field was in 1985. My best friend, Dean and Linda, were down there in Bolivia. And a friend of theirs named Sabar Kubas came to the church and was sharing about them wanting to build a church in an area down near um, Puerto Suarez, Bolivia. And so um, after he shared, uh, a friend of mine at church came up, and he looked at me and said, Dave, I could tell you really want to go to Bolivia. And I said, I would love to go to Bolivia, but I don't have any paid vacation. I can barely pay my bills now. I don't have any money. I don't have any way of going to Bolivia. And he put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, Dave, I tell you what, if you'll trust God for the money to go, I'll trust him to pay your bills while you're gone. And that's what happened. It was like $1,200 for all my bills because, you know, back in, in 1980s. But, you know, the Lord give, gave me the money to go. And so the Lord can provide that. If he wants you to go, no doubt about it, he's going to provide the funds for you to go. I promise you. And if he doesn't want you to go, you won't have the funds. <laughs> That's a good barometer. But he will, he, will, he will provide the funds for you to go, no doubt about it. And what did it do? It built my faith. Because from then till today, and then I didn't have two pennies to rub together. <laughs> But from then to today, I always tell people, don't let money be the deciding factor. Money's way down on the list of why you should go or why you should stay. And when we're praying, that's a good thing. I challenge you not to pray why you should go, but pray why should you stay. (laughs) If it's the last thing on Christ's lips, it's that important to us. So I just challenge you this morning to pray about it, think about it. Over the next... um, Several weeks up to conference, we're going to have the trips promoted every Sunday, a couple of people at a time. And we've got a lot of different trips planned. We're planning from Alaska to Peru, Africa and Belize, Portugal, France, uh, southwest Texas, Rio Grande area, uh, Great Britain. And there are local opportunities that will be spread out through there like Ponderosa and Christian Service Mission as well. But um, during the Missions Conference, uh, we plan to hand out Uh, these passports that we make that tell who the team leader is and the field, the missionary, the the, the purpose of the team, of going there, and so things like that. So when you get those passports in March, take them home, pray about them, look at the fields, and if you're interested, you just go to call up and get in touch with the church office or call that team leader up and tell them, hey, I'm thinking about uh, France. I'd like to go with you there. What are we going to be doing there? And just get more information about it. That, That act of faith is the first step in the process. So I just want to encourage you to think about doing that um, when the time comes. Now I've got to put in my code. Hold on. My phone keeps going off. <laughs> so um, if you like more information, like I say, the missions committee or any one of those team leaders can give it to you. <clears throat> so uh, Robbie Roberts is going to be the first one. Lord help us. But Thad told us, Thad told us take as much time as we need this morning. So it's no problem. Right, right there. <laughs> but Robbie's going to promote Great Britain and tell you about that trip. 
The next few weeks, we'll be unfolding, unpackaging the other trips and let you hear about it. I'm really excited. Uh, this team has really come up with some great ideals. We had interviews with these missionaries through the Zoom and uh, just talking to them, getting to know them more and finding out what they need. And I really feel like this is uh, more intentional. It's really good for our church. And the team design, I'll be honest with you, is a couple of the older people who have experience going on these trips, on these trips and then a couple of younger people going partnering with them that's the model that i'd love to see happen is younger people go and we don't want anyone not to go if you have the slightest desire to go then i want you to go and trust the lord for it it'll change your life we always think we're going to change the world no 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 (laughs) we're humbled We're, we're we're brought low we become servants and it's one of the healthiest things you can do as as a as a believer okay rob you're up five minutes rob Good morning. Dave's done an excellent job here of giving you a full outline about what's going to be coming up over the next several weeks, and I got the privilege of being the first one of the team leaders to be able to share with you guys. Uh, He said several things, did several things. I want to do interactive, and also it's always fun to be second because then you're like, okay, what's my backup plan? What's my backup plan? Listen, I I, I can't emphasize this enough before I tell you a little bit about uh, Great Britain and the United Kingdom, is to uh, take to heart the most important thing, and that is to be willing to consider to go. That's our biggest problem, is that, you know, we've done all these planning, we've got 17 leaders, we've got all these trips, but none of this stuff's going to work unless we have participation from you guys, folks that might be watching at home today or watching this tape later. You got to get involved. You got to be willing to do it. Dave just mentioned all the different things that I know immediately come to mind. I hate to say this, but I'll bet you right now the vast majority of the people in this room are thinking, okay, when these two guys get finished talking, we can get on with church. I hate to say this, but this might be the most exciting and most life changing thing that you may experience ever. I can testify to that because that actually happened to me by getting to go on these trips, okay? Let me tell you a little bit about England and about uh, getting to go over there in the United Kingdom. I can say we did actually have a few people from our church did go on mission trips last year. Linda Self and and myself got to go over to the United Kingdom. I got to go to a place called Exeter. Has anybody ever heard of Exeter before? Got a few people over there. Okay, so it's in the southwest region. It's about three to four hour drive from London heading, heading back toward the United States. Uh, it is a college uh, city. It's very old. It dates back to the Roman period. It, uh, ha- has, it's, it, stays on, it stayed on the map for a long, long time because they actually have the cathedral there. So it's very beautiful. Get a chance to be able to see that. Linda was up in the uh, very rough area of the Isle of Skye, which if anybody's ever seen any of these movies where they go to England and they have all these beautiful mountains and all this kind of thing, Well, that's where Linda was suffering for the Lord. So we just want to make sure that you get to see that. Listen, these kind of trips, you're going to hear different things are going to be done on the different trips. Some, And we would like to find something that might fit with your skill set. So if you're really good with construction, there's going to be several opportunities for that. If you're good with working with kids, there's going to be opportunities for that. There's various things in here. Listen over the next coming weeks and say, okay, hey, look, that might be something I might work with. If you hear all those things and you say, well, I just don't see where I fit in with any of those, you remember back to this one, the one I'm fixing to tell you now, because we take all kinds on our trip, okay? You don't have to be of a, a special skill set, and shockingly, even though I'm fixing to tell you what we're going to do, 
you do not have to have the gift of evangelism to be able to go on this trip either. But you will be shocked, not shocked as in surprise, but you will be uh, shocked into action to actually become more evangelistic as a result of a trip like this. Okay, So we work with our missionary is Wyatt Gwynn, who will be speaking here in a few weeks. Y'all, many of y'all probably know Wyatt. Some know him really, really well. I got the opportunity to get to know Wyatt on these trips. And what Wyatt does is he teams up with churches in the United Kingdom that want to have a group of believers from the United States come over to their church. Okay, And so basically what we do is we go over and we work with a specific church uh, for a little over a week uh, every year to be able to sh- interact with the members there at that church, build them up, let them know that there are believers around the world that care about them, and go out into the community and be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We gear up for various events that we'll have that will bring in the public and be able to get them to, to come in and, and see a little bit more about the church and things that are happening over there. Okay, uh, You'll get an opportunity to get to meet the UK folks. You'll get to sample the, the various foods. You'll get to learn a new language. It's all kind of... Okay, yeah, y'all catch that? All right. They do speak English, but it's a little different at times from, from what we speak, okay? But it's great. And you might say, well, why in the world do I need to go all the way over there to do that? I could do that around here. The fact of the matter is, is you will be more bold about going to places here in our community if you are willing to do it in another community. Because over there, nobody knows you. And I'm going to tell you something. I've stood on a lot of doorsteps, and everybody here who's been to England I know has done this very same thing. And that is, you're going to stand there, and you're going to have people who are going to be going, what in the world is this guy with an American accent standing on my front porch doing here? And when they find out that you spent your own money, took off your own time, left work, left your family, and came over here, they're going to give you five minutes of their time. Because, A, they're pretty nice, but, B, they're actually seriously thinking, hey, this guy cares enough about me to actually travel all the way over here and do this. So I encourage you to really uh, look at this opportunity. Please come talk to me. You don't have to. I won't immediately try to start booking your tickets as soon as we start talking. But please come and talk to me and, and find out more about the trips. Uh, we're going to be uh, staying uh, with the folks there at the church. You'll get a chance to get to, if you've always wanted to be an exchange student type thing, you're going to get a chance to get to do that for a, for a week. Uh, it's great to get to meet the folks, to share in their worship services. And I just encourage you again to be listening close over the next several weeks and and say to yourself, I'm willing, Lord, if you uh, want me to go on this trip, I'm willing to check it out and make the commitment. Thanks. I was wondering when those guys are going to get finished till we get to worship. No, I'm just just joking. Just joking. No. I'm going, I'm going, so if I can go, anybody can go. Okay, you got that, guys? So, hey, let's just worship together. We're going to remember the Lord and what he's done today for us uh, by taking communion a little while. But um, let's just all stand and let's just sing together. Just follow us as we sing. Mercy, there was great
listen to the words of the choir as we remember what he did on the cross for us. As he broke his body, he shed his blood for us. We can sing hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah for that cross, that old rugged cross. Just listen to the words as they sing.
Praise God. Let's all, let's all pray together, maybe. Father, as ugly as the cross was, as painful as the cross was, as rugged as that old cross was, there's something beautiful about that cross. Lord, because that cross that our Savior hung on was the display of the greatest love that man could ever know. And, oh, God, as we come together as a group of believers today, Lord, we celebrate that, Father. We thank you and we praise you for that old, rugged, ugly cross but had the most beautiful love. God, only your love can stand out like that. Only your love can cause us to be able to be a part of your great family. Lord, we don't deserve it. Not a one of us that are in this room today, God, know that we belong with you. But God, you allowed us to be a part of that. Only by the way that you did it was the sacrificing of your son, where your son took my sin and all the sins of these people on himself and paid the penalty that only we deserved. Lord, how can we say thanks for the things that you have done for us? Things so undeserved, yet you give to prove your love for us. The voices of a thousand angels cannot express our gratitude. All that we are, Lord, we give it all to you. And Lord, we give that to you this time, during this time today. Father, we worship you. We adore you. We love you. We listen to you, God, and we just ask you to guide us through this hour here as we remember all that you have done for us. Thank you again, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. These things we pray in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. My first trip was in 1992, and they needed my uh, skills uh, in order to build down in Belize, and um, so I was, if you're visiting with us, I don't build a thing, um, but in 1992 it was my first experience going on the mission field, being out of the country, and um, the reason I went to Belize is because my pastor told me I was going. Um, I didn't have a choice. And so I went, not knowing what to expect, and the Lord certainly worked in my life. My heart it was the first time I'd ever been to a church where the folks said, preach as long as you want to. Um, I've been to the mission field a few times. I've been back to Belize since 92, I believe on one or two occasions. I went to England uh, with Robbie a couple of times. And then I went to Thailand with Robbie. And believe it or not, I was walking down. We were staying in this, like a motel type of place. And uh, 
myself and another friend of mine were walking down the corridor to go down to meet the guys for breakfast, and we hear this noise coming out of a room. And it sounded like a blow dryer. And it was. It was Robbie blow drying his hair. (laughs) But the temperature at the time in Thailand was about 105, and the humidity was about 98%. And I looked at my friend and said, what in the world is that man doing? But you do not have hair like that unless you're taking care of it. So. Uh, let's have a word of prayer before we get started. Father, um, we know it's your desire that we not only share the gospel here, but around the world. We know that to be true. And uh, Father, we want to be in your will as individual believers. I pray that's true. And I pray that we would consider the things that have been said already to us today in terms of going out um, to the fields and sharing the gospel. And it sounds frightening, but Lord, you tell us you never leave us and you never forsake us. So there's so many promises that we can stand on knowing from whom they've been given. And so we just thank you, Father, for the great privilege we have to be missionaries in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools. Um, And if you would lead uh, some to be a part of of these teams, I just pray that your spirit would work in the hearts and the lives of these folks. Help us, Father, as we look at your word today. Help us to be um, teachable. And help us to want to learn more of what you desire for our lives. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, from Elvis to Pitbull. You guys didn't even know I knew who Pitbull was, right? The only Pitbull I knew was a dog. And I don't want to be around that Pitbull. But from Elvis to Pitbull, many other artist, there have been over 100 million songs, they project, that have the word love in them. That's a lot of songs. I don't know that any of those songs had in mind when they were written the term agape. In fact, I'm quite certain that they weren't. But there are for us, considerations as it relates to this issue of love that you and I um, not only need to consider, but we need to ask the Lord where we are falling short in this area. Um, This is a difficult text because we go from the word sin, that three-letter word, to the four-letter word love, and for many, they think, well, that's a great transition Now I can kind of loosen up and I don't have to worry so much about the subject matter because how hard is it to love? It's very difficult. If I put 30 people in a room at my choice and you came with me, I just put a random 30 people in there and I said, your responsibility as a believer is to love all of those people. With agape love. You might look at me and say, Hey, Thad, 
25 of them? I can get with you on that. But there's five of these people. I just can't do that. That's hard to imagine that a believer would not love his brother, but it does happen. It happens at times where folks are difficult to love. You might even be looking up right here at me going, you're a hard one to love. And that could absolutely be the case. But John, in his transition to the subject of love, kind of wraps up the section that we've previously discussed. John talks with like circular reasoning. He, he, he introduces a subject and then he gets off of that subject to introduce another one to introduce another one, then he'll go back to that first subject. And that's what he's doing here. He's coming back to a subject he's already addressed, and that's the subject of love. Um, It's a subject that the church certainly needed to hear at the time, and I believe it's a subject that the church needs to hear uh, today. Um, Let's look at these verses. These guys will give me my PowerPoint. I love you guys. Does that make a difference? (laughs) Okay. So this section goes from verse 10 through verse 24. Any of you not get handouts today? Any of you not get one? There are handouts. Someone has them. Hopefully uh, they can pass one along to you. Uh, It's helpful to have that. You're able to take it home and kind of review what we've discussed. John just wrapped up a section that he began in chapter 2, verse 29. And he comes to through to chapter 3 in verse 10, and he wraps up that section. Then he begins, I believe, a transition in verse 10, going through verse 24, where he discusses the subject of love. You may think this subject to be one that most folks would want to hear in a church. In fact, you could walk in and ask folks, hey, what subject would you like to hear? What is the series you would like to hear? Oh, I want to hear a series on love. And then when you get into the series, you find out that it's not so easy because it demands personal evaluation. And I think that's true with this. This issue of love is not so easy, not as easy as we might think. Here's the verse, here are the verses we want to consider for this morning. Notice what John says. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Now, remember last week, we discussed the different viewpoints, and, and you'll be given those again today. But I pose the question, is it possible for a believer to act like they don't belong to the Lord? The answer, at least from my viewpoint, is yes. It is quite possible that believers at times do not behave like they belong to the Lord or that they are a child of God. John says this, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil, those who are being influenced by the enemy, are obvious. It's obvious. Now, when you think of the world, well, the world's going to act like they belong to the enemy because they do. But for the Christian, the question to consider in this particular verse is, is it possible that you and I don't look like one that we belong to, which 
If we say we're believers, we say we belong to the Lord. Is it possible that at times we don't look that way? And I think last week we kind of determined that is possible. John says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now notice what he doesn't say there in that little phrase. Note the wording. He says, is not of God. He doesn't say they weren't born of God. Would that make a difference? Oh yeah, that'd make a difference. He doesn't say they don't belong to God. Would that make a difference? That would make a difference. I think John was very careful with his wording here to say not of God. In other words, they're not behaving like they belong to the Lord. Now notice what he says. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I think the key to understanding this entire section and 1 John may be around this, ah, may be around this particular pronoun. See if I can... You see that little pronoun his? Notice what, he, notice what John writes. He says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, I would say that John's saying he doesn't look like he belongs to the Lord. Nor the one who does not love his brother. So, who's the one? A believer. Right? The one is a believer. Verse 10. The one who does not love his brother. So that makes one a brother. Okay? So brother to brother. Now, if you come away with a test of relationship view, you're going to have to explain that to me. Where it makes sense. Because it doesn't make sense to me in the context of the passage. John is talking about believers and a believer loving another believer. And so what he says here is, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Do you practice right, righteousness all the time? Do you? I'm just looking for verbal. No. Do you always love your brother? You know, the, the frightening part to me when I study First John and I listen to different viewpoints, which I respect the viewpoints, but I have a hard time swallowing, is, man, are we talking about perfection? As, as much as I understand, right, my responsibility is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and in this life, I'm never going to arrive And the real question for me as I look at this phrase, nor the one who does not love his brother, the real question for all of us to consider this morning, and it's a hard one, you ready? Is there a brother or sister that you're not loving? And you haven't been maybe for years. You've left the sphere of influence and never had to think about it again. I mean, I've told you the story before, but I had a brother like that. I left the state of Alabama, and I never had to worry about him again. I never had to worry about loving that guy again. I had a problem with that guy. And you know what? He had a problem with me, and I knew it. But I left the state of Alabama, went to the state of New York, out of sight, out of mind. Until one day, 
I'm sitting in my office. I have this poster in my office of when I played basketball many moons ago. And I looked on that poster for some reason, and I caught a glimpse of him. And the Holy Spirit just grabbed a hold of me and said, Thad, you're not right with your brother. Mm. I wanted it to go away. Eraser. I don't have to worry about that anymore. First time I came back to Birmingham, I sought him out. I said, listen, I haven't been loving you like I need to love you. I'm sorry. I was in sin against my brother. That's the truth. You know what the amazing part of that whole conversation was? He said, Dad, the same holds true for me. He was in bondage to what? Hatred. I was in bondage to hatred. And it took the Lord to convict me of my sin. Well, I believe it's absolutely possible that believers do not behave like the one they belong to. I know it's true for my own life. But nonetheless, through this statement in verse 10, we come to understand that righteousness should be a part of the believer's life. A believer should do righteousness and will do righteousness, but that righteousness and doing righteousness is dependent on what? We learned last week. In order to do righteousness, we must what? Abide in the Lord. Apart from the Lord, there is no righteousness. So in order to do righteousness, we must abide in him. And we looked at that in John 15. And then notice in verse 10, it says, he addresses the issue or begins to discuss again the issue of love. A believer should love other believers. I want you to write down on a piece of paper five people who are hard to love. Right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You don't have to do it right now. Thad Blunt, T-H-A-D. Be a good little test, wouldn't it? Would be. Guys, you know what? Until we see the Lord, the Bible tells us we won't be changed completely until then. And we have this old man in us. And it's not prone to righteousness. And it's not prone to love. We really need to think through these things. I know it's hard. And I know it's one of those things that's difficult. But it's important. There are two viewpoints as it relates to this section or this verse. The first is a test of relationship view. And the folks that hold to this view, and remember all along I'm saying to you, you know, there's a couple of different main viewpoints. Um, I want to make sure that you're not, that I'm not coming across with, you have to have my viewpoint. I would ask that you study. I guess I would ask that. And I can tell you that years ago, this is the viewpoint I held. I was thinking about the very first time I taught 1 John. That's how I taught it. But there was a big, big thing that happened since that point for me. And that was studying, studying, studying every single phrase and word that's in the book. And still, there are great Christians on both sides of the aisle 
that we would acknowledge. One, look at that, Warren Wearsby. I mean, I have books in my library, Warren Wearsby, all over the cover. I love Warren Wearsby. Um, just happen to have a disagreement with him on this. Okay, so that happens in the Christian life. There are going to be secondary issues that we're going to disagree on. But their viewpoint is that a person who is not doing righteousness or loving his brother is not a genuine Christian. These two statements are test of relationship statements. Excuse me. Warren Wiersbe says, A true believer practices righteousness and does not practice sin. Also, a genuine believer loves other Christians. Okay, so there's questions that come from that for me. Is um, always practicing righteousness? Always loving other believers? Um, those are things that I would think about as I... As I um, consider that viewpoint the second viewpoint boy that looks smaller um, the second viewpoint is the test of fellowship viewpoint this says a person who is not doing righteousness or loving his brother is not in fellowship with God have you ever been out of fellowship with the Lord I have and I would assume that everyone who belongs to the Lord has at times, and even for periods of time, been out of fellowship with the Lord. There are several examples in the Bible that you have to do something with. I mean, we would say that Solomon did not end his life well, wouldn't we? Just based on what the Scriptures say. There was a period of time there where Solomon was not walking with the Lord. So, this particular viewpoint speaks about the fellowship piece. John does not say that they are not born of God or that they don't belong to God. These are test of fellowship statements. Okay, J. Dwight Pentecost in his book says, Fellowship with God does not depend on the eradication of the sin nature. So J. Dwight Pentecost would say that at salvation, the old man right, is not put away. He still exists. I think we could all agree with that because we all sin. Only believers, he writes, can do righteousness and love their brother. We fellowship with God as we walk in the light of his holiness. And so one of the things we have to consider in our Christian life, if we are out in the audience this morning and we say, hey, I belong to the Lord Jesus. That's my position, right? That's great. But then there's another element to consider as a Christian. What is my condition? Is my condition always right before the Lord? It's not. There are times and there are seasons when we are in sin. That's just the truth. So it's something to think through, something to consider. I would encourage you to study it on your own. And if you disagree with this view, the fellowship view, that's fine. We can just agree to disagree. But I think that in the context, it seems to me that John, again, is speaking about the issue of fellowship with these believers. And I believe those who are influencing them in a negative manner um, were specifically having impact as it related to the fellowship of the believer. All right, so we move from that section where he focuses in on sin now to where he focuses in on love, okay? And so you have that at the bottom, I think, of your first page of your handout. 
Look at the announcement in verse 11. He says, for this is the message. Well, why, why does he address that? Because he's just talked about the issue of love. He says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Okay, and so not loving his brother means he's a brother. And then he begins to address the issue of love in the body of Christ. He says, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Notice, just in the language of verse 11, this is not a new message. This is not something new. Notice the way it reads. For this is the message or announcement which you have heard. Now, this is what that means in the original language. They had heard it, and they were continuing to hear it. You know, one of the problems in the New Testament church, I think, today, is that you have people, teachers, pastors, who avoid subjects because they're hard subjects. That can happen, okay? One of the things about the apostles that we have to know is they did not avoid hard subjects, neither did the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to attack them head on, right? And so he attacks the issue of sin head on. He attacks the issue of love. He says, for this is the message which you have heard. They had already heard this message that they should love one another. And notice John puts himself in the equation. Notice the pronoun we. That we should love one another. He can't tell them to do something he's not doing. Right? You could have a teacher come and say, you need to do this. And you could get the impression if you're sitting in the audience, well, what about you, buddy? Is this for you as well? Right? Well, John doesn't, doesn't but mix his message. He says, look, we have the responsibility to love one another, okay? And it's a message which he had heard from the Lord Jesus Christ, which we're going to get to in just a moment. He says, for this is the announcement which you have heard. They had heard it. They were continuing to hear it from the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of their salvation. You have heard from the beginning of your salvation about the issue of love. Have you? When was the first time someone introduced you to the subject of loving your brother or sister in Christ? I know how it went for you. They introduced the subject and you were like thinking about different folks in the, in the congregation. You're like, man, this is going to be awesome. Isn't that how you responded? Or was it more like, oh, you mean that one all the way across over there? Listen to me, this issue of love, you have to take a shovel and go deep, because it does. See, love's not just this, this is how our culture speaks of love. They'll just throw out the word, oh, I love you. What in the world does that mean? Right? Well, I love you at that moment. I love you for what you do for me. (laughs) Right? That's the reality of the culture we live in. I love you because you accept me. The kind of love that the Lord taught his disciples is something different. And I just want to encourage us to kind of be on board with that. Is that okay? Encourage us to be on board with what Jesus taught his disciples about love. In order to do that, there's the question. What would the message have encompassed? 
What did John tell these guys? And we have some of it. But what did John say? Where would John have got his message from on the subject of love? Where did John get his message on the subject of love from? The Lord Jesus. Oh, him. And where did that message take place? Well, one of the primary times where Jesus spoke to his disciples about the issue of loving one another is guess where? In the Gospel of John. Guess when? In the upper room. Guess what had already happened? Judas already left the room because he was not capable of agape love. Are you listening to me? The only ones who are capable of agape love are those who belong to Christ. And so... Judas had to be absent of the room, and he was. And it's interesting that right after Judas leaves the room, Christ starts talking to his disciples about big issues as it related to, be, as it related to knowing him. And one of those issues is love. Do you remember? Back in John, you can turn back there. It'd be okay if you did that, right? We used to do, when I was growing up, we used to do sword drills. Y'all, the kids still do that, right? I like doing sword drills because we only had a few people in my Sunday school class. When I was a kid. <laughs> but one of the things that John would have heard, along with the other apostles, about this issue of love is verses 34 and 35. I'm sorry, chapter 13. Thanks for the question. So last week somebody asked me in the middle of the service, what book? Now you don't want to know what chapter? I'm sorry. Thank you, Tracy. John 13. I guess I just expected y'all would just turn there, right? John 13, verses 29 and 30 tell us that Judas went out. Look at verse 30. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately. Who went out immediately? Judas did. And it was night, therefore, verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now he is. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, Verse 33, where I am going, you cannot come. We know how that's received because of the rest of chapter 14 and Peter's response. But look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you what? Love one another. Oh, that went great, Thad, because these are the disciples of the Lord. They had no problem with each other. Do we forget what Matthew did? What was he? He was just so popular, wasn't he? Easy to love. A guy who wants all the money. Right? You look at, at this commandment. This is difficult just for them in, the, in, the, in their own room. He says that you love one another even. So he gives us here a measurement, a benchmark. Even as I have loved you. That you also what love one another. So just in that one verse, he says, love one another twice. 
Then verse 35, by this all men. Now listen, this is very important. Meaning those who belong to the Lord and those who don't. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because what does the unbelieving world do when they see believers loving each other through difficult times? They're going, what in the world's going on? I thought you hated that dude. That's why it's so, listen to me, that's why it's so imperative for us to demonstrate agape love. Because the world is watching us. See, they're watching how we handle disagreements. Have you ever disagreed with another brother or sister in Christ? Guess who's watching? The people around you? Believer and unbeliever. So I can't share things about your life so much, right? You haven't, you haven't given me permission to do that. So when I think of illustrations about this, I have to think about my own life. And there have been times when I have not demonstrated love when believer and unbeliever was present. So Jesus is telling them the weight of this commandment. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, there's another passage of Scripture in which he speaks about this issue of love. You turn over two more chapters. Chapter 15. Okay? Chapter 15. What's wrong with my little... What's wrong with this clicker? Just advance the slide, please. Thank you. Oh, man. Okay, chapter 15, verse 9. Here it is. What would John's teaching have encompassed? This. Look at this. Just as the Father has, Father has loved me, Jesus says, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. Live in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide my love. You see the connection there? You keep the commandments, you will abide my love. Because the commandment, if we go back to the Old Testament, was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as what? Yourself. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying, this is what I have done and this is what I do. These things I have spoken to you. Notice this. Now this phrase here is very interesting to me because if you go back to chapter 1 of 1 John, remember he talks about the joy, right? And, And the issue of having joy and it being connected to fellowship. Notice what he says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Made full. Our joy, listen to me, our joy in the Christian life is made full as we obey the Lord. It's that simple and that hard, right? We could say it's that simple and it's that difficult at the same time, okay? Notice what John says, this is my commandment that you love one another, Jesus says. Just as I have loved you. Man, you're looking at these verses going, how many times is he going to say this? Greater love is no one than this. And this is interesting, pre-cross, that one day, one laid down his life for his friends. What was Jesus about to do? Lay down his life. Notice what he said, I love this. 
you are my friends if you do what I command you. How many times do you think after the disciples leave the upper room, after Christ is resurrected, that they went back to this entire sequence of events that took place in the upper room? I believe a whole lot. Why does Jesus repeat over and over again, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another? Because man is stubborn. And man in his flesh, when it comes to this issue, I have had people tell me, historically tell me, that I'm not going to love that person. Okay. Well, who are these people? Pagan people? Uh Uh-uh. Born-again people. I could never love that person. You don't know what they're like. Well, I know what I'm like. And I know I'm difficult to love sometime. And all you have to do... Where is she? (laughs) I was looking for my wife. (laughs) All right, so it wasn't something new, this command that John gave. Then... um, But it was something for all believers. Now, this is for everybody who says they belong to the Lord. So if you're one in here today who says, I belong to the Lord, guess what? Just as it was for John's audience, it's for us today. Okay? This loving one another stuff. We said that John includes himself in this verse. Well, how in the world does this agape love look? Now, I gave you on your sheet, you could see other words there. I gave you on your sheet these other words for love. We don't have time to talk about them today. Guess what, though? Uh, He's going to talk about this whole issue of love again in chapter 4. So just because we don't talk about that today doesn't mean we won't in the coming weeks. But you can see there are other words there for this issue of love. And you can see how they're used. I would encourage you to to look through this and then to even do some word studies yourself as it relates to the issue of love. There's two passages that I want to focus on before I give you some practical things uh, to leave with today. The first one is, um, wow, that how did you get that out of order? Doesn't matter. First uh, Peter and Galatians are the two that I want to address. So in Galatians chapter 5, he tells us how we are to love one another. Okay? Now in the context of the passage in Galatians 5, Paul talks about the issue of freedom that believers have. Now remember in, in the book of Romans, it says we haven't been set free... To sin. Okay, right? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, may it never be. So this freedom we have is not a freedom we go, hey, I'm born again and I can live like I want to live. No. I'm not under law, but I'm under grace. But grace has requirements. People think, oh, grace is free. It is free. But grace is the understanding that I live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Makes sense to me. Grace says that I look to Jesus for how he wants me to love and how he wants me to live. 
He's about to deal with walking by the flesh and walking by the Spirit. And before he gets to that, he says, For you, believer, we're called to freedom. Only, look what this says. Only do not turn, that should say your freedom, into an opportunity for the flesh. So you say, hey, I belong to the Lord. I'm free. I know I'm going to heaven. This is how it translates practically. I know I'm going to heaven. I can live like I want. No, that's not what the Bible says. I need to come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. How often? Every day. So as I come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, then what? If I'm under his authority, if I'm submitting to him, if I'm walking by the Spirit, I'm not giving an opportunity for the flesh. But when I'm not walking by the Spirit, I am giving much opportunity for the flesh. And so notice what he says. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Why? Why does he write that to believers? Because believers are prone to do what? Sin. Okay? Sin. So don't turn the freedom you have in the Lord Jesus into an opportunity for the flesh, Paul says. And it's interesting the direction he went. Because I look at that construction and I go, well, he could have just put a period there at the end of flesh. But he did. You know what he does? He says, hey, instead of giving your self an opportunity to to sin right to serve yourself notice what he says don't use that freedom for the flesh but through love serve one another who's he talking to believers through love serve one another notice that word serve there it's the word doulos through love serve one another Right, serve one another. How do we serve one another? How do we do that? Well, if we're going to serve one another through love, that means we have to be what? Observant. We have to observe our other brothers and sisters. We don't just walk on by and say, I ain't dealing with them today. No, I go to church with the mindset to love Right? And as I'm loving, I'm serving. That's what Paul says. As I'm loving, I'm serving. So instead of serving the flesh, right, I'm serving other believers. I'm putting them first. That's what the Lord wants for me. That's what the Lord wants for you. That's what Paul wanted for these believers in the Galatian regions. And so he says, serve one another. All right? This next one is pretty interesting in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Look what it says. Now, this is the term agape as well. Notice what he says. The end of all things is near. He's kind of given a list of things here. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Notice what he says. Above all. Above everything else. Keep fervent in your love for who? One another. Who's the one another? Believers. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Let's make a couple of comments about this. Did you know that that word fervent there is a medical term? It's interesting. His, 
I love studying the languages. And when you study the language, you come to understand kind of the urgency with which the author is writing. This is a medical term, this term fervent, describing the stretching of a muscle to its limit. (laughs) So here's the idea. I'm going to use the podium as an example. So I'm going to stretch my leg here. How do you think that feels? Feels awesome, right? But as I stretch my muscles, you know what happens? They hurt. Do you get what Peter's saying? Keep fervent in your love for one another. Stretch your muscles and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you to love that individual. Can it? Oh yeah, it can. Is there times when you're thinking about some believers where there's a strain there? It just hurts. When I was in track in high school, our coach, the very first thing that he made us do after reading the list of requirements for the day was stretch. I coach a softball team with the help of the Lord. And um, Gina is my assistant. That's Robbie's wife, the guy with the hair who was up here earlier. And one of the activities that we have them do right from the very beginning is stretch. I told them this year that I would stretch with them and I would run with them. What a fool. (laughs) But I've done it to this point. I make them run poles like that from left field, right field, right field, left field. So I've had them do that and I've run with them. And one of the girls comments, she said, Wow, Coach Thad, you can run. I said, well, yeah, I can run. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? But I'm going to be honest with you. Those girls can run. And so I gave it everything I had the other day, one of them. And two of those girls beat me. Boy, I was like, wow, I'm really old now, you know. But when you're stretching, you're hurting, potentially. There's times when we're stretching as it relates to other believers to love them, and it can hurt. All right, the other passage there, the first John one we'll deal with when we get to first John four. Some year that happens. Okay. As you notice on your sheet, agape love is the most common term in the New Testament. Okay, and the you have the noun form and the verb form. Agapao is the verb form. Agape is the noun form. Um, I just gave you some examples here. That agape love is used to describe the attitude of God toward His Son. You'll see that in John 17. You can look at these at home. To describe God's love for mankind. In John 3.16, a verse we're all familiar with. To convey His will concerning the disciples' love for one another. We already looked at that one. In John 13, uh, verses 34 and 35. And then to express the essential nature of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. This information came from the New Bible Dictionary and Vines Expository Dictionary, okay? Um, I wanted to give you five things to think about as it relates to agape love. And I want to use my marriage as an example, okay? As I was thinking about this, I thought it's a good, a good thing to think through. 
Agape love, first of all, is a volitional choice. In other words, I make the decision every day to love Teresa with agape love. I make that decision every day. And sometimes, many times during the day. But that's the responsibility I have when I think about my responsibility as a husband. Remember, in Ephesians, Paul says, Love your wives as what Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her as an offering and sacrifice. So that word love there is agape love. That's how I'm to love my wife. This is a good refresher for husbands. Okay, Agape love, secondly, is not based on feelings. I know it's hard to believe. I don't always feel so great about Teresa. You might go, well, I can see where she might not feel so great about you. But there are times when I don't feel so great about Teresa. That's what happens in a marriage. But agape love is not based on feelings. It's not, well, I feel good about Teresa today. And because I feel good about Teresa today, I'll love her. No. It doesn't matter if I feel good about Teresa or not. The responsibility I have, according to the Lord, is to love her with this agape love. So it's not based on feelings. By the way, just a real quick commercial on that. That's how our world loves. Our world loves based on feelings. Okay. Um, agape love involves action. It's serving that person. I wrote in my notes, serving Teresa as the Spirit leads. And I think that's a very important phrase at the end, as the Spirit leads. Because if I'm loving my wife with agape love, I'm always considering that the Lord through His Spirit, may be leading me to do something for her, serving her in a way I really haven't thought of before. Um, one of the ways I did that practically, and I, 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 I do not like to wash dishes. Like, if I'm doing one to ten on things I dislike, it's almost number one. But my wife leads a busy life, and my wife cleans the kitchen all the time, pretty much. But one day I remember coming in not too long ago and I walk in the door and I see these dishes in the sink and I'm like, yeah. And I just kept walking. And I don't know how it is for you, but the Lord just like, hey, go back and wash those dishes. I'm like, I don't want to wash those. I'm having a conversation with the Lord like he's standing right here. I don't want to wash those dishes. Wash the dishes. So you know what I did? I washed the dishes. And I don't like doing dishes. I'd rather do laundry than do dishes. So, love involves action. I show, I demonstrate. That's what I do. Agape love also is sacrificial and it's unconditional. It's sacrificial, meaning I place Teresa first before myself. And if you want a quiz on if I do that or not, you're going to have to go ask her. Agape love is unconditional, meaning I'm not waiting for Teresa to be at her best to serve her. Right, No matter what condition she's in, I love my wife. You say, Thad, that's kind of an extreme thought. Aren't you glad the Lord wasn't waiting for us to get to a certain point? Right? That was impossible. The love, the love of our Lord is an unconditional love. When I was up in New York State, one of the things that, that I enjoy doing is counseling young people who are about to get married and this couple was about to get married, and they came to my office, and, and I'm going through with them um, this issue of love. And I was young. I was probably 28 years old. 
And so I didn't know if I was asking the right questions or not, right? I was young in the ministry. I was like, well, I think this is probably something they should, should talk about. So I asked them, hey, tell me your definition of love and, and, and how's that going to work out practically in your life as a couple? Well, the girls, uh, or excuse me, the, uh, yeah, the girl's talking about it and, and she's like, well, yeah, I love him right now. And I was sitting behind my desk going, uh-oh. Oh, let me ask another question, right? I was thinking, well, how am I going to... She said, I love him right now, Thad. And she said, I, I expect that might continue. But I just was like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I asked him, and he said, I love her unconditionally. And he basically went through what we're talking about. She said, I could... She looks at this guy who she's about to get married to. She said, I could never do that. She said, I love him right now, but I can't say I'm going to love him five months from now or five years from now. And then I knew I had a problem. He just looked at her and he said, really? He said, or she said, yeah, really. Well, the long, the short end of this story would be they didn't get married. You say, Thad, you shouldn't ask that question. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was, I was 28 years old. About two weeks later, I saw this girl in a bank with another guy. About two weeks after that, the mom and the dad who went to the church, who I thought I was in big trouble with, came to my office and sat there and said, Thad, thanks for asking that question. This issue of love is a big deal. And it forces us to kind of look inward, right? And I think one of the great things that we end on is, thank you, Lord, for your love for me. That you are willing to stretch out your arms in love and die for my sins. Pay that penalty that no one else could pay. Thank you for setting the example for us on how we should love others. And help us by your spirit to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. And Lord, these are some hard subjects. At least they have been for me. Um, but nonetheless, they're, they're subjects that you um, care that we address. From the subject of sin to the subject of love. Um, Lord, we're just people. And as Christians... Those of us who say we belong to you, we can't live the Christian life to your glory uh, without um, coming under the, the control of, of your spirit, without walking um, in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And Father, I just want to thank you that that's possible for us, that we can walk um, in love as we abide in you. That it's possible, Lord, for us to love others as Christians with that agape love. A love that I would say doesn't make sense to the world. But a love certainly that is recognized um, when it's done in the body. And I think it's recognized as something just weird by the world. Help us to be weird people and that we would love others in the body so that the world would see that we belong to the Lord Jesus. Fathers, we have now a time where we consider and remember um, the death 
of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. I pray that this time would be a meaningful time that we come to the table prepared to receive these elements today. And uh, we just pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here at Grace, um, one of the two ordinances that we recognize from the New Testament is um, the Lord's Supper. And I know that um, when we have the Lord's Supper, we do baptism. <laughs> the services are a little longer. I get all that. But I don't think you, you can... I'm not sure how much more a service can be enjoyed than one is remembering the death of our Lord and our Savior and what He's done for us. So I did want to tell you that if you're not a member here at Grace, but you're a member of the body of Christ, you're free to partake. We want you to know that. Um, if you're visiting with us today, it's your first day. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're in right fellowship with Him, we encourage you to celebrate with us as we remember the death of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention something that's really critical as it relates to this time. It's not only remembering what the Lord Jesus did for us, but it's a time that we would examine ourselves, make sure that we're in right fellowship with the Lord. And as we've talked about, if there's sin there, we just confess it. We, and all that means is we agree with the Lord. Um, I don't know about you, but as I get older in the Lord, I, I would think that would decrease, but I find myself confessing because the mind is something that just moves pretty quickly. But anyway, Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So examination is required. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Who's going to know if you haven't judged it rightly? Your neighbor? Probably not. The Lord will. As the Bible says to us that we're open and laid bare before him. He said, well, how big of a difference did that make in the life of the Corinthians? Listen to what Paul wrote. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number are dead. Why? Because they didn't judge the body rightly. The Lord takes sin seriously. Listen to this, though. He says, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So, let's judge ourselves rightly. That's what Paul's message is. But when we are judged, meaning we're not judging the body rightly, we are disciplined by the Lord. He does that. So that we will not be condemned along with the world. So listen, if you don't judge the body rightly, that doesn't mean you don't that you lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. But there will be discipline. Because the Bible tells us, for the Lord, those whom the Lord loves, he does discipline. So I just want to give you a couple of minutes where you're at. Just to um, pray silently before the Lord. And um, have that time of confession that you need before we partake of the elements. And as you're doing that, I'm going to ask the elders and deacons who've been asked to serve today if they'd come forward. Okay?
Lord, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to see you face to face in all your glory. But what a day that'll be. Lord, until you come, you tell us one of the ways that we witness for you is by observing and remembering your death. Lord, um, this morning, there's an element of this, which is confession before you. And there's an element of this that's celebration. Because no one could satisfy the wrath of the Father except the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to say that we're thankful for the body of our Lord Jesus and the willingness that he had to go to the cross and to pay the penalty for our sin. And as we take the bread this morning together, I just want to pray that you would help us to remember, help us to never forget what our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ was willing to do for all of us. I pray this in his name. Amen.
We take the bread today in remembering the body of our Lord Jesus. Would you pray for the cup for us today? Lord, as we uh, examine our life before we partake, that Lord, we know that uh, we're not worthy. Mm-hmm. You tell us that you've put us in the, you seated us in the heavenly places in Christ. And Lord, we know we don't deserve that position, but we're thankful that we're in Christ. And that's the only reason we're there. So Lord, we just uh, pray that you'd make us a thankful people. And that we would never take your sacrifice for granted. We'd always wake up thankful every day for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
don't know what you think of when you think about the blood that was shed, but that started in the Garden of Gethsemane where the Bible tells us he sweat drops of blood. He was in such agony. But it also tells us that he was scourged. That scourging could last for up to five hours. They would put pieces of metal. They'd put metal little balls. And they would put lamb's teeth in those whips. Always thought it kind of ironic. that The lamb's teeth would be in the whip. And that John the Baptist would announce earlier, much earlier. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But it required a punishment that I don't think we can fathom. That song, Scars in Heaven, you've heard that song? There'll be scars in heaven, but it'll just be the Lord Jesus Christ that bears those scars, which I believe will be a constant reminder to us of his love for us and the willingness that he had to take our sin. So as we drink this juice today, we remember the blood of our Lord Jesus. The Bible says to us that, you guys can be seated. The Bible says to us that um, they sang a song. So we're going to sing a song. I'm going to have you stand and we're going to sing the first and last stanzas of Amazing Grace. Can we do that together? All right. You're going to help me, right? Here we go. dismissed. May the Lord bless your day.